Hello, and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by Hybrid Links. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. Today we will be hearing from Beatriz Rodriguez Corbell about the opportunities and challenges in localization vendor management. Beatriz is a senior talent manager at the RWS Group where she oversees all aspects of multilingual talent strategies across regions and the supply chain team. She leads the supply chain interpreting needs for APAC, EMEA, and NASA regions, and she has successfully steered global talent initiatives for on-site and remote interpreting positions in various verticals such as finance, legal, and medical. Prior to this role, she held several other roles related to resource management and RWS, SDL, Donnelly Financial Solutions, Tech Translations, and other high-profile organizations. Her mission is to attract, identify, develop, engage, motivate, and retain the best multilingual talent and she collaborates with cross-functional teams in a fast-paced large volume environment Beatrice what a nice surprise to have you here and welcome to the translation company talk podcast how are you today I'm fine thank you very much Sultan for inviting me please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us what do you do okay so my name is uh, Beatrice I'm a senior talent manager in a WS group I am uh, over 20 years experience in translation and localization although I started my career in tourism um, I have been deeply involved in vendor management for over 15 years and in order to improve my skills. I took a master's in human resources as well about three years ago. And uh, well, at present, um, I'd lead the supply chain interpreting needs for APAC, EMEA and NASA regions. I always start asking my guests on this podcast about their journey in the localization space. Can you please share a few words about how you came to be part of this wonderful industry and what what were the beginnings like? That's funny because I landed in this business by accident. Okay, I come from a very small town uh, located in the northwest of Spain, which is called Leon. Okay. And um, I studied my course, my I studied tourism there. I have always loved languages and traveling, and I wanted to study a career related to those, you know, so I could enjoy. So I studied French and I studied English. So my idea was actually to live abroad and spend a few time, um, a few years in both in Ireland and France to improve my language skills while working. So then I could go back to Spain and settle in the Balearic Island. Now, one thing is what you have in mind, what you like to do, and then another thing is what you end up doing, okay? So I first moved to Ireland, and uh, I lived in the south of Dublin for, for, a, for a, um, yeah, I was minding kids at the time. I was in two different houses, and, uh, well, actually, one of them was, um, I lived in a very wealthy area. Um, I don't know if you heard the Inia, the, the singer um, uh, yes, from yes. Clana. Yeah, okay. Okay, she bought a castle in a in Kleine, a very wealthy area in the south of Dublin. I live in that castle actually. <laughs> I'm very proud of myself when I when I when I tell this story to the people. <laughs> so yeah, so um yeah, that was um uh, what it was a very interesting time in my life. So um 
I lived in, uh, I was uh, minding kids uh, for that family for a little while. Then I moved to another house. And then uh, thanks to the second family that I, I lived with, I started working in a hotel. So um, while I was working in a hotel, I got the chance to um, to do a course. Uh, it was uh, partially financed by the Irish government. So I had to move to the north side of Dublin. And so I did. And it was, um, it was a very good experience because I had the chance to step in my really first job, which was in the purchasing department of a former telecom area, now Aircom, telecommunications, right? So um, the building was in Cahal Bruja Street, very located in the heart of Dublin. I had very good times there. I had the, the, the um, it was a great experience. I had the chance to uh, work with senior um, um, employees, staff that really helped me a lot. I met very nice people, very fun people. And so I stayed here for a couple of years and I decided to go back to Spain. And uh, this is how my story with translation started because I spotted um, an advertisement uh, in a translation company which uh, was looking for a purchasing assistant. So um, I said, okay, why not? So I submitted my CV, I passed all the, the interviews and uh, I was offered the job. And initially I started in the engineering department. So so um, I, it was very brief. My stay in that apartment was very brief. And my boss at the time, uh, he taught me how to um, how to analyze Word documents. For me, it was a very good experience because it was something totally different and new to what I was um, used to. And uh, he provided quotations. The department provided quotations as well at the time. So um, at some stage, he said, I need a, a localization engineer. engineer and I just learned that the sales department was is looking for uh, somebody to um, help in the in the team. So if you want to stay with me, I can train you and make you a very good localization engineer. So I said, okay, uh, let me give it a thought. So the next day I come to him and I said, you know what? I think I'm moving to sales. And he said to me, you're doing the right thing, you know, <laughs> because I I did not see myself actually working in engineering because of my I don't know my background the my personality and I, it just I simply did not see myself working in engineering so this is how my um, how it all started really in translation I stayed in in tech uh, for a total of 13 years and I took I held different positions from sales I moved on to DTP I just took opportunities as they came because in DTP the DTP department um, a, a couple of years or after they were looking for um, they were looking for somebody to help the DTP, the team lead, the manager of the of the department, and uh, I um, I joined the team, and uh, I actually um, I started managing the DTP vendor database, which was very uh, very exciting for me. I I realized that I I really like doing that. You know the way that the jobs were um, managed at the time by production in that company it was uh, we would receive the request from production directly so we will have to um, um, do a lot of outsourcing and uh, that implied it was very um, it had some kind of a personal touch and um, that implied a lot of phone calls to the DTP vendors 
and um, and I, I at the same time that I was working in the DTP department, he taught me how to do small edits in the, um, in files in uh, in design. I learned a little bit of InDesign, FreeMaker, Adobe Quark Express. Sorry, Adobe um, Quark Express. So it was um, it was very uh, very interesting. It was very good times. So um, but when when once that I was there at the DTP department, I realized that the task that I really enjoyed the most was at the time that I have to uh, look for vendors, deal with them, uh, pick up the phone calls, send emails. And that was something that I really liked a lot. So I said, okay, I, I hopefully in the future, I can maybe in the future, I can, I can um, uh, you know, gain more expertise. And I made end up, you know, holding a position more related to vendors. And um, well, then after tech, well, tech uh, just uh, closed down some stage. And uh, I, uh, at the time, or Donnelly, which was a, a former U.S. translation company, was looking for a vendor manager to manage and set up strategies for uh, their number one account, which was a pharmaceutical company. So I submitted my CV and I, I got a job. I was um, I was delighted actually with that position because that offered me a different a different side of uh, not just vendor management but uh, the translation itself as well and uh, the translation industry meant as well and um, uh, there were very busy times because I have to deal with a high number of uh, resources and uh, at the time we we would service the 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 clients in different language combinations different services all together um, and it was very challenging because some of the services were a little bit they, they were not the standard translation or editors or DTPers okay we have to that implied a lot of calls to uh, universities hospitals looking for a healthcare uh, practitioners and SMEs like surgeons, for example. So it was really great. It was really great. So well, that was um, well, the, the that was the language solutions um, division of uh, or Donnelly. In 2018, we were acquired by SDL. In 2020. <laughs> In November, we were finally acquired by our WS Group, and uh, the rest is history now. So I've been, I've, I've gone through uh, two, three different acquisitions already. I've invited you here today to uh, to speak with me about uh, a few different things, and we'll get to that. Uh -huh. But uh, let me ask you this, Beatrice: What was the main thing, uh, the interesting things in our industry, significant changes that stood out to you as revolutionary, or things that you always remember, and you think because of <laughs> that industry? is moving in this direction or somehow it impacted your career or your line of thought when it comes to translation and localization as a you know as a business process good question I will mention machine translation I would say because you know many years have passed since MT sneaked into the already established human translation processes put it that way and uh, introduced the different concept of progressing sorry, processing and obtaining a final product in the industry. But it became huge too fast. The method is efficient. Yeah, it's true that um, high volumes can be translated, for example, um, which which um, it's, um, it makes it faster innate in lowering in the overall translation cost. But, you know, if trans machine translation is not done accurately, it can have an impact on, on quality and on the vendor management side, it much imply extra cost to carry out post editing afterwards. So 
you know, we may exceed expenditure as well. Your area of expertise, your passion seems to be working with people and uh, especially with vendors, with enabling people to 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 run this industry. And mm-hmm. I've invited you to speak about that with me today within the MLV framework. Please provide a high level view of what does vendor or resource management actually mean in the context of translation localization? Well, I have always supported the thought that no matter how high the profile or how many any sales are made, the, this business cannot be run without vendors. In in order to strive for success and ensure that the best quality resources are lined up to service a client, I think that LSPs need encouraging and well-structured recruiting teams that, you know, would deny on client satisfaction. So in my view, a vendor or talent management is somehow to operations uh, what HR is to a company, a business partner. And our mission is to attract. We need to identify it. We need to develop. We need to engage. We have to motivate and retain, which is very important, the best multilingual uh, talent. And of course, doing all this in collaboration with cross cross-functional teams. Building on that, uh, from the MLV or an LSP point of view, uh, Beatrice, mm-hmm. what are some of the largest uh, challenges when it comes to managing vendor? But before we go into there, the nature of our industry dictates that we rely on these vendor type relationships, as you just mentioned. How mm-hmm. is this different from industries where there is reliance on third parties, such as ride sharing and, and others that, you know, have to subcontract? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say it's a, it's a totally different landscape. Like I've never tried ride sharing myself, okay? But my understanding is, if I'm correct, that drivers and passengers connect through an app to book and share the rides, and they pay for that. Right. So it's, it's it's simple that there's no agreements. Now, compliance is highly important in this business. So vendors are subject to signing contractual agreements before starting collaboration with LSPs. And these include a number of requirements and conditions, such as confidentiality. So contractors are obliged to not to disclose anything that is confidential and that includes well data includes materials etc to any third party or than the personal who have any to know from the mlv point of view what are mm-hmm. some of the largest challenges uh, when it comes to managing uh, vendors today hmm. okay um well good vendors are nurtured and you know fostering good relationships with them is really necessary you know so we we have some requests that might be very challenging and it might be hard to spot the right candidate fast is if is it, it is possible to select the best looking candidates with, based on the profile on the experience they have yeah that's fine but we always have to look at the different options like for example if we are recruiting for a medium term project to to secure a vendor and you know high volumes and the job frequency can give us leverage in the rate negotiation process so at the end of the project we should keep the vendor engaged in continuing a collaboration with us on other jobs this is the way I see it what should Beatrice LSPs know about developing a proper vendor or resource management framework in which they manage the full life cycle of a resource from discovery to training to maintenance and in some cases unfortunately in in parting ways or firing them Hmm. what is the the process or framework that's accepted in our uh, industry and that has shown uh, to produce good results okay um once that we there has to be a a a standardized process for recruitment okay this is this is uh, that we need to follow a certain pattern of um identifying the vendors uh, vetting selection uh, testing etc but it's 
once all that is accomplished, we need to make proper use of the vendors. Vendor management needs to guarantee pools of vendors to respond to company needs. Yeah, and this implies making significant efforts in order to accommodate all the requests in a timely fashion. But the teams should not rely on a specific vendors or limited pools unless, let's say, for example, the vendors are recommended to by the client. This is one of the things that we see sometimes, you know. So that leaves others empty-handed and we may take the risk of losing them if they become inactive for a certain period of time. So it has to be a win-win. Vendor managers are quite unique, uh, Beatrice, as you know, because they have to fulfill the requirements of project managers and in some mm-hmm. cases even sales. Uh, what is the best way to set expectation in order to make sure they don't overpromise and underdeliver? Yeah, <laughs> that unfortunately happens often. Yeah. <laughs> well, I personally try to be as assertive as possible. Um, I think it's important to, um, at the risk of sounding maybe um, um, too uh, full of my uh, or full of myself or having too much confidence, <laughs> uh, I think that it is important to educate the client. Okay. Okay? Because not all the requests are the same nature and not all the vendors' time response, response sorry, or availability are the same either. So, for example, in APAC, in the APAC region, uh, vendors tend to prefer using emails instead of the phone, okay? Which it, 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 it might slow down the recruitment process if we're in the middle of a p- of peak times. So, however, in, in I've seen that in, in NASA or EMEA, for example, vendors would rather prefer having 10 calls with you before exchanging several emails, you know. So along my career, I have dealt with origin requests for rare combinations and on service to which an SAP answer is simply not feasible. So I understand why I understand the team's concerns. The truth is that vendor management are the experts in this scenario and the ones who really may confirm where we really stand, okay? So and we should be consulted before going back to the client. Beatrice, you just referred to something we've all all dealt with emergencies and last minute issues mm-hmm. related to finding vendors or to accommodating a specific request. What are your thoughts about contingencies and being prepared to deal with unexpected resource situations? Well, in, in principle, we always have to stick to the client's requirements, okay? Investigate what options we have and how feasible it is to meet their expectations. Now, if the request is particularly challenging, we need to think outside the box and present alternatives, okay? Some might be different, although workable. And, you know, and then go back to operations or sales, whoever the requester, with a full picture of the potential resource allocation for the internal review first and then later discussion with the client. Now, some clients might tend to keep lawyer to the initial approach despite our suggestions, but I have learned that surprisingly, they might change their mind and consider other Although another alternative. So in any case, yeah, a pressure on turnaround time has increased. And this usually means that a much larger bench of resources is required, lending flexibility and subject matter expertise. Now, for a vast number of language experts, this might be possible, whereas some ad hoc requests might require a different turnaround. In different countries, Beatrice, as you know, have different uh, problems when it comes to the labor market. Uh, for example, in the United States, there's a worker classification issue 
issue and translation companies had to fight hard to gain exceptions and regulations where contractors would be classified as employees. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are some of the common trending problems related to this type of labor globally that you can think of? Mm, This is touchy. Mm. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, This is some relevant piece of um, some, some something important to, to bear in mind at the recruitment stage. For example, in California, there's a law where uh, which obliges interpreters to comply with certain criteria in order to work as independent contractors and be recognized as such and not as employees. Okay, so they must they, they must have a certification for a national interpreting organization or institution approved by California, etc. And uh, for example, in the U, in, sorry, in the UK as well, they have the their IR certified regulation, which is their anti-avoidance tax legislation. Okay, without getting into detail, there are specific countries under regulations made under the sanctions and anti-money laundering laws, and with whom obviously there's no possibility of a, a collaboration, I'm afraid. I think communication and having the right information is key, as you know. Mm. Uh, what efforts should vendor managers uh, put in place, if you can explain, to make sure all vendors start with the right understanding of what is expected from them so they can have like a fruitful long-term relationship with the MLV? Well, as you said, you know, communication definitely plays a great part, but I believe that transparency and support by both like vendor management joint operations is is fundamental because we are vendor management is the, the let's say the, well, obviously we are the, the department who manages the vendors and but operations mm, deals with the vendors from the project-related point of view. So I think it's important that we work together and we are both on the same page in order to support the vendor as much as possible. I would like you to talk about regular vendor profile maintenance and review. What is the best process to ensure every profile has the most up-to-date documents, agreements, internal performance data, and so on? In other words, how do we make sure that every vendor or every resource, every freelancer Mm -hmm. has an equal opportunity to take as much work from the MLV as possible so that the relationship is mutually beneficial. Yeah. Well, yes, of course. It is important to have systematic documentation and management so everyone is aware of who the suppliers are, okay? So the vendor data is stored in the vendor database and should always be complete. And vendor management encourages vendors to submit revised versions of their CVs on a quarterly basis, at least on a quarterly basis, and uh, and contact us if additional information is to be provided at some point that could not be managed on their end, okay? Now, for identifying the most engaged vendors, vendor management in LSPs uses uh, dashboards which use data to create insights okay so that um, uh, you know dashboards the information that, that, that we get from dashboards supports a VM supports us to identify gaps in the skills so that a proper vendor recruitment and onboarding pra- plan if if needed can be created and executed so where does the mm-hmm. dashboard data come from is it coming from production versus recruitment uh, is it coming from an ongoing system in which you're constantly tracking existing vendors as to how they're performing or their quality issues with them are they responsive so that you can have a proper coaching yes. system in place for 
for each one of them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that that's um, a platform that um, it's a it's a platform where we store the data for um, for the vendors and this information that we receive ourselves, vendor management, so we can assist and we can connect them. Well, we can um, assist operations afterwards based on a on a um, on a series of well on a number of requirements. Okay. Let me ask you related to that, Beatrice, about mm-hmm. coaching and continuous improvement. Yes. How does vendor management perform a role in making sure all vendors are optimized for 100% performance at all times? Yes, a little bit related to the previous question. Um, I will I will make two distinctions, okay, on the vendor's behalf and on the client's behalf. So on the vendor's behalf, we have KPIs, which are the key performance indicators, okay, that serve as the uh, serve sorry as indicated in measuring several aspects depending on the needs of the company okay so uh, we have uh, we uh, measure quality we measure commitment we measure uh, flexibility and what else um responsiveness for example and of course uh, well delivery time delivery and um cost management which is very important okay in the, the i mean cost management needs attention because every transaction between vendors and the profit gain from partnering with them has to be measured to know in order to see whether you know that meets the kpi that we have established now uh from the client's behalf it's important to see if they are satisfied with the services that all vendors have offered them okay so i think that if possible as a best practice, uh, we should follow up with them on quarterly business review call. Now, agree to discuss performance to keep them updated and, if possible, to discuss projected workloads for the months to come. Vendors output quality, you just made a reference to that uh, price, hmm. which is the economics of things and, and availability as well as turnaround or primary issues that vendor managers uh, deal with on a constant basis. Beatrice, in your experience, what other issues generally trend in this area? Hmm. Based on my experience, um, I will remark service, um, language combinations, for example, and location. Location for certain services is very important. Let's say, for example, for interpretation, okay? And um, for example, if a client requests a translation from um, Spanish into Chinese, the recruitment efforts all around will be lower than recruiting an interpreter who does Japanese, Chinese, for example, and is required for an on-site event in, I'm making it up, Hong Kong, where the chances of flying the interpreter over are scarce, meaning that the client requests a local linguist. Let's discuss technology. Obviously, a lot of our challenges, including the one that you just mentioned uh, with regards to distance and geography, we can address Mm -hmm. it with technology to some degree. Mm -hmm. But uh, we are seeing the impact of automation in so many Mm -hmm. areas in our industry. Machine translation, you mentioned uh, that earlier is it's yeah. a very good example which has changed the dynamics of how translators created translations mm. now uh, how do you feel about the impact of new technologies on vendor management side of things uh, i mean there are so many that, that are out there some of them yes. are really cutting edge some of them have existed in the past i would like you to speak about how vendor management takes advantage of uh, technology today mm. okay um well i have my reservations with, <laughs> with technology in this sense a little bit okay i press and many companies already use yes um, generative AI uh, to study resumes and shortlist candidates 
Yes, that's true. We see platforms. There are companies there with offer, you know, this these platforms where candidates submit their CVs so the clients can access them and select initially the best fit for them through the system. So clients participate directly in the process. Now, I recently read an article about a multinational company who will uh, who's thinking to automate part of his HR um, with um, AI to relieve the employees in the department of many of the routine tasks of many you know, administrate, uh, administrative tasks that prevents them from devoting themselves to high value tasks, you know, and a virtual assistant will manage, uh, well, uh, things like payrolls, contracts, or holidays. Now, some questions come to my mind, you know, when I, uh, but actually came to my mind when I, when I read the article, such as, for example, how we're going to manage the staff selection, how the company is going to do it, or perform evaluation, or such a sensitive issue as layoffs, you know, how is that going to be managed by AI. So, you know, in terms of recruitment, I know that many companies strictly use ATM systems for resource selection. And I understand that uh, they receive, they do it um, in certain way because the number of CVs that they receive on a daily basis is, is really is really high. But, you know, I, I believe that technology by itself might discard candidates that might have an outstanding track record, especially senior candidates. But Whoever, uh, however, due to certain circumstances or parameters, uh, they might not pass, you know, the filters um, established. So, you know, I see, all I know is that AI is evolving too quickly. I expect to see automated um, processes in the in the near future that will definitely help uh, vendor management teams uh, better, assist them better in the process. But I think that right now, there are still many big unknowns for which there's no really a straight answer. At least it's the way I see it. This podcast is made possible with sponsorship from Hybrid Links, a human-in-the-loop provider of translation and data collection services for healthcare, education, legal, and government sectors. Visit hybridlinks.com to learn more. In a world where we will be seeing a combination of technology output with human intervention, such as post-editing, mm. how do you see the role of vendor management changing, Beatrice? Mm. Um, okay. Um, well, to me, vendor management is a strategic department in which there must be a human component. Okay. To me, it's very important that there's a human component because, you know, to help ensure the success of customer relationships, especially for certain services where presence is required. For example, okay. So um, I have seen requests with extremely specific requirements, which at first glance seem difficult to accomplish. However, I think that the human provides alternatives that this is a little bit in line with the previous question as well. Um, that maybe automation might have difficulty in overcoming. And in my experience, the outcome has been positive as the client has approved new candidates to the job. So despite how rapidly the technology, sorry, technological landscape is moving right now. I would like to believe that companies are going to ensure to have at least a hybrid vendor management mode in place in the future. So I don't know. What do you think? Do you think clients would like to deal directly and simply with the machine for the outsourcing needs instead of, 
welcoming, you know, having the figure of a human in the process that will help them managing the vendors and supporting them as well, you know? Well, uh, Beatrice, I think, uh, since you asked for my opinion, uh, I think vendor management will always be a human-to-human interaction type of uh, business process. Uh, Mm -hmm. But there might be, there is room for, uh, for example, for AI to automate some of the repetitive and more mundane type of tasks. But we always, at the end, prefer to deal with humans, especially if we are choosing humans to do the job and yes. they would rather talk to a machine and same with the on the client side they prefer to uh, describe their requirements to a human who can go and find the the right match for uh, the requirements but that being said with the changing role of the translator for example yes. for, uh, instead of being the creator now they're the supervisor of a machine that creates them in the form of post editing i think the the job of the vendor management will slightly change because they will have to look for skill sets such as post editing such as uh, people's experience working with AI output uh, yes. and, and also we will have to retrain ourselves as vendor managers to um, to find new areas beyond translation where there will be a demand for it. For example, you know, we may need translators down the road who can uh, create text and summarize it, right? So summarization abilities, mm-hmm. classification of abilities, whether they can uh, take, uh, you know, look at different types of text and say it belongs to this industry and based on that create content. On. So I think there will be specific things that uh, will change with the emergence of AI and other types of technologies. And I think our industry, um, especially the vendor managers, are very well prepared to to handle those type of things. Uh, but with that, let me ask you about uh, what are some of the ways, Beatrice, that would enable translators and other colleagues in this industry to form mm-hmm. better relationships with, uh, with translation companies or MLVs? Uh, what is working today from the vendor's point of view and what is not working? Where's the disconnect between collaboration of uh, an LSP and the freelancer? Yeah, I will highlight the following points as major concerns, okay? Um, on one hand, I think is um, it's uh, relevant for them to know, you know, how relevant they are to their um, to their client to the, as a service provider, okay? How important they are to the client, you know, how their customer responds to problems that might arise and how challenges are overcome. That's, I would say that's one, one of the um, one of the challenges and uh, one of the one of the things you know one of the concerns okay and another one is how the client positions in the market in the industry as for um, company culture sustainability innovation for example you know I think it's crucial that LSPs develop their brand strategy well so because you know for some name and image does not suffice you know they, they you know and and some some vendors it's true that some vendors uh, you might receive applications from vendors saying, well, I want to work with you because you are X and Y and, uh, you know, you're very well positioned in the market. But, the, you know, there's the vendors that might be, um, they, they just want to work with you because you you have certain, like I said, you know, you are positioned in the market. You know, But most of the vendors are not really like that. And they uh, they are looking for something else, despite you know, like I said, you know, name and image. They they are looking for a certain um, um, I don't know if requirements is, is the is the right word uh, from from the their their client. Okay. From my recent discussions with colleagues mm-hmm. within the industry, there is a trend that uh, either people apply to work with translation companies as uh, you know as an interim part time solution, so they can find full time jobs. I'm talking specifically about freelance 
freelancers, or in some cases where people are long-term freelancers, mm. they have very specific requirements that the the, the LSP is expected or forced to morph into that. And obviously, yes. you cannot do that for every freelancer, given the, the wide scope of our industry. Uh, but talk to me about uh, an issue with talent shortage yes. uh, following the pandemic. Terms such as quite quitting became a thing uh, and has quietly since faded uh, from um, conversations. How is the talent availability situation today? I think it depends on the market needs. Because I think that at present, vendor management teams are constantly learning and adapting. So, uh, like you said earlier, you know, we need to um, um, we need to be trained ourselves. We need to keep keep growing as professionals and adapting to the to the new times. Okay, and this this is you know uh, this is part of that develop developing. So uh, development, sorry, <laughs> so that development. So besides the pandemic, uh, the tech crash, for example, in the U.S., impacted negatively at across businesses of various kinds and uh, of course translation as well and localization however in our industry i've seen myself that some services have been growing significantly in response to new demands and this challenges the need for rush onboarding of certain specific profiles and, and in order to secure uh, secure dedicated pools in the long term so this might affect cost management as well because vendors have been gradually increasing rates you know inflation and the cost of living across the world yeah. is impacting our ability to deliver our services the price that we did before and and that's a conversation to be had both inside our industry and with our clients what advice would you give uh, vendors Beatrice aspiring to work with MLPs and global players in our industry mm, okay um in my okay three I'm thinking of three uh three big advices okay the, the first one might sound like very plain maybe not very relevant but it isn't uh, very relevant so number one is ensure that the profiles are up to date and detailed as as much detail as possible okay it's not a matter if it is not a matter of submitting a 20 page document but the more specific information the more chances to be contacted as it will give us a vendor management a better approach to the expert so uh, that will help. That will help uh, identify, you know, allocate the vendor to a, in a specific project. Okay, that's one thing. Uh, another one, I would say, proactivity. Okay, I encourage um, always vendors to contact through the established channels on a quarterly basis with an updated version of the resumes. And um, I will add as well, um, okay, flexibility and rate and, and rates, com um, rates to be competitive. Okay, these two come together, I want to explain, and sometimes they, they can be misinterpreted. Being flexible does not mean accepting every job at any rate. Instead, what I mean with this is um, to be open-minded and consider options according to the offers. For example, if a vendor performs well and tends, tends to, to be flexible, he or she will have more chances to be engaged regularly or even become a preferred vendor for a client. In, in closing, um, Beatrice, what is your advice for LSPs who are interested in streamlining their vendor management to improve their processes and, and relationships with their suppliers and vendors? 
I think it's very important to establish clear processes in documentation. That's one of them. Uh, that's one very important point. So the vendors know how to proceed and when and who to contact in each case, you know, within the LSP. I think we must facilitate the walkthrough with training if necessary. Okay, we must help them to start off on the right foot, especially SMEs who are not familiar with this um, with the industry. And I'm 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 thinking of healthcare professionals such as surgeons, for example, whose learning curve might be steep. That's one thing. Okay, another uh, point. It's, um, I think it's important uh, to collect reverse feedback from vendors, okay? It's very important to know where we stand and if possible, follow up with them on a quarterly basis with feedback for um, analysis and so for us to know and learn and take corrective actions if needed. And the last one, and is at least uh, relates to the previous ones, is to cultivate good relationships with the vendors. Okay, it's very important to have long-term partnerships and overall engage them in the business. Okay, local, okay, we can, um, the, the LSP can set up local or regional vendor gatherings. You know, they could be set up maybe once a year, for example, or networking and international affairs take that advantage you know of of being present in international fair. And if in-person gatherings are more difficult to organize in the digital area we're in now, remote catch-ups might be an alternative. Thank you so much, Beatrice. I'm so happy to be able to speak with you about vendor management. Thank there you is so a lot. Uh, there's so much to process and, and learn. Yes. And I'm sure uh, people listening today found every answer helpful and, and useful in order to uh, take that if they're on the supply side to improve uh, how they deal with LSPs and MLVs, if they are on the buyer side of things as in working with LSPs, they, they have now an idea about how to streamline um, their work processes, how to improve things. And uh, I cannot wait to speak with you again related to your experience, uh, a topic of interest that might actually resonate with the industry. And there's a lot that you can cover for sure. With that, let me thank you for your time and for sharing your knowledge and expertise with the industry. Thanks to you, Sultan. Okay, it's time for my roundup of the interview and my analysis as to what has been discussed. Vendor management is a critical and important part of the language services business. There is no LSP that can handle all the languages, domains and requirements by themselves today and as such our industry needs this interweaving of talent and resources. That makes us truly unique, global and interconnected. In order for this machine to work well, we will need all components to work in sync and harmony. With the changing technology, threats from outside the industry and an aging population, our industry is ripe for innovation. We need translators who are experts in solving today's linguistic challenges but also possess great customer service skills to attract and maintain long-term relationships from LSPs. On the LSP side, we need them to understand the modern challenges of linguists and offer them innovative solutions to deliver their skills, help them modernize their expertise and experience and expose them to new areas of our ever-changing industrial systems. Only together we can solve the challenge of global information access. That was a fascinating and interesting conversation with Beatrice. I'm glad I spoke with her as vendor management is a key topic that typically doesn't get much exposure. I hope you found this conversation as insightful and informative as I did. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible or your platform of choice and make sure to rate this episode with 5 stars. Until next time. 
Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.